Uh, if you're visiting today, we've been looking at the first uh, four chapters of Genesis over the last uh, several months. And uh, one of the reasons that we're doing that is uh, you cannot understand where you are unless you know where you have been. Let me, let me put it this way. All of us, all of us believe in history, right, of some sort. I mean, you're here. But your view of history and how you look at your past affects how you live today and the way you think about the future. Now, one thing that we said before we come to our text is that there's three basic views of history. Uh, one view is kind of an Eastern view of the yin and the yang. That, that history is, uh, is one big cycle. There's kind of a reincarnation. Uh, we don't know what happens to us, but we become part of the cosmic one. And uh, that view of history affects how you live. Then there's a view of history that we live in the, the, in the West, that we live in the transcendent material universe, right? That the material world is all that ever has been and ever, is and ever will be, and somehow you're part of uh, this transcendent material universe, and, and thus events in history are unrelated to any other events. Y'all understand that? It means nothing. And so your life is pointless, your life is meaningless. Baptism is meaningless. Your marriage is meaningless. But then there's the biblical view of history. And that view is what structures history. All of history, of which you're a part, is a covenant. A covenant that God has made with, albeit, albeit Adam. And so what we're going to look at this morning... Is, is Adam who has broken this covenant, and according to the scriptures, that we're in Adam or in Christ, we're going to see his response to God's promises. So, if you would turn uh, to your Bible, or is here printed in, 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 the, in, the, in the bulletin. There it is. The man called his wife, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever." Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're the God who's here. Uh, you're the God of history. There is a beginning and, and there's an end because you're the Alpha and the Omega. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to understand the glory of that, the majesty of that, but also to understand the grace of that. That in space and time, in true history, 
2,000 years ago, you sent your son to be a curse for us so that we might have life. Father, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, Lord, you're never obligated to reveal yourself. You're always everywhere in the fullness of your glory. But Father, in your mercy and your grace, uh, you peel that back and you reveal yourself. And when you do, uh, we see our shame and our nakedness. But we also see a God who covers us through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you change lives this morning, both believers and those who might not know you? To see that you're the God of grace and mercy and our future, not only in this life, but in the world to come, is in your hands as you'll recreate the heavens and the earth. And so we ask uh, for your presence now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let me give you uh, Shakespeare's uh, poetic version of what I just said. And some of you are familiar with this uh, phrase, it's out of Hamlet. He said, all the world is a stage, and all the men and women merely players, and they have their exits and their entrances. I've experienced that this past eight or nine months. I've lost three aunts. And I will be doing my uncle's funeral in several days because he he is in a bed uh, dying this morning in Greenville. And so the reality is uh, that we are on the scene for a little while and we we pass off the scene. But what we have here in these chapters is that the world is actually a theater. And and if it is a theater, then the stage is a courtroom. That's what we've been seeing in Genesis chapter uh, 1 through 3. Michael Horton, who's a wonderful theologian, a friend of mine, says this, Like Hamlet's play within a play, the story of Israel can be read as a condensed version of the the original covenant with our race and Adam. We are set before a great trial in which we ourselves are actors and not just the audience. And this sets the stage for the final recapitulation of all covenantal history in Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the true, and the faithful Israel. Now let me tell you what Paul says in Romans 5. We talk about this over and over and over again. But if you're to understand the Bible and how it ties together, the Apostle Paul speaks of sin coming through one man, Adam. See that one act. And all of sin was imputed, called original sin. And in a way, as I said earlier, it's a wonderful thing to realize that original sin, this doctrine, actually levels the playing field. Nobody can be self-righteous. You can't look down your nose at somebody else and say, well, you know, they're a Baptist or they're a Presbyterian or, or they're a heathen or they're a pagan. Because we all sin in Adam. Jesus believed that. But Paul tells us later in Romans 5, Also, that in Christ, who is the second Adam, through his one act, his death and resurrection, are all made alive. Now, let me tell you, if you're to understand true history, you've got to realize you're not a spectator this morning. 
you and I are part of this covenantal uh, history. And so I want us to, to look at that, and I want us to see what Adam's response this morning, his response to the curse that was promised, it was certain. Now, now to do that, I, I have to kind of do a little bit of very, very brief recapitulation for you who are here uh, this morning for the first time. Here's what we've learned. <clears throat> that God is the creator of the material universe. He spoke. That's Genesis 1. He spoke into the chaos and the world came into existence. And then he begins to order the world on this day and this day and this day. And every time he, said, he ordered, he said, it is good. And then we discovered that he created us male and female in his image. That we were created good and holy and righteous. That we were created Adam, as we'll see, in Adamah, that we were vice regents. There is no, there is no a distinction in terms of our equality, only our sex and our roles and our essence. But we're to reign and rule together. We see that God makes a covenant with Adam in the second chapter. He made a covenant with a real man named Adam. And we see this throughout the scripture, the significance of this covenant. And when he makes this covenant with Adam, um, the covenant was a covenant of life or death. And, and ladies and gentlemen, there was only one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know why? Because God is good. Uh, you know why? Because there has to be distinctions. He's the creator and we're not. Ah, but then we come to chapter 3 and we see the temptation that is here. And so we see that Eve was deceived. And she gave to her husband and Adam was in outright rebellion because he absolutely knew the covenant. And his desire was to give testimony not to the promises and goodness of God, but his testimony was to that of Satan. And believing the lie. And rather than uh, becoming like God, what happens? Uh, he, uh, he runs and he hides. And he covers himself up. And Eve covers herself up. And they're disconnected from God. They're disconnected from one another. And there's shame. And they're covering up. Everything is broken at this point. But Adam and Eve don't return, do they? They don't come and say, Lord, would you have mercy upon us? We have sinned against you. No, they run. And they, they make fig leaves. And then they make excuses when God begins to confront them in his love and his mercy. Uh, and rather than going, you know, Lord, I have sinned. This is, this is all on, on me. Uh, the covenant is broken. And they make excuses. And so then we saw the curse and, uh, and there, there's a distinction between the curse between, to, to, to Satan, the serpent, and then the man and the woman. Each having a distinct curse. And then the curse to Adam himself was you will be out of the garden and you will work the ground and to dust you were made and to dust you return. So that's the context. So what is it that we are to see uh, this morning in the passage that we just read? We're going to see Adam's response to God's promise by faith. That's what we're going to see. And so there's three things. One is, I want us to see Adam's faith. And then I want us to see God's provision. 
And then as I looked at this, and you know, they're still kicked out of the garden, I want us to look at God's character as well. And one of the reasons we have a low estimation of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done is because we have a very low estimation of who God is and all of his attributes. That he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all of his attributes. So here's the first thing to see is this. We first see Adam's faith. Where do we see this? Well, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now, how do we see faith here? Well, at first glance, you look at it, it seems like as though this passage is out of order. Or it it just seems like it's just stuck on the end of it. But if you take closer examination of it, what you see here is a statement of Adam's faith and the promises of God. So here we see this man who before sin, sins and does not believe God's word. And now in God's grace, he has broken the covenant. And he's making a statement of faith, believing and trusting in who God is. They might say, where do you see that? Well, the significance of Adam's uh, naming Eve. Uh, He changes her name. Now, God gave her a name in the first chapter. You know what her name is, man? God created uh, male man and female man. We've talked about this. I remember years ago when I was a chaplain at Vanderbilt and I said a prayer. And, uh, and during the, the prayer, uh, I said something about God's blessing upon mankind. And I remember uh, afterwards, one of the uh, chaplains, uh, who was not of my gender, uh, suggested that that was a sexist uh, prayer. Now, again, I didn't, I, I didn't get mad. I, I fully understood based on her notions of reality and, and that, that we're all equal and the same. I understood why there might be an offense, except for the fact that in the Hebrew, God gives us as males and females the same name because we are vice regents together. But Adam changes her name. And he changes her name to Eve. Now, why would he contradict the very name that God has given to her? Well, friends, this is where we begin to see distinctions that are here in the Scriptures. Adam names his wife Eve because it means she shall be a mother of the living. Now, I just want to do a quick aside here. Um, you know, when we talk about equality, we, need, we can't speak of equality in the same way we'd speak of screwdrivers and pliers. A screwdriver is not more significant than pliers. And pliers are not more significant than screwdrivers. They are tools for different functions. Let me give you an example of that. Yesterday I went to uh, Greenville to see my mother and father-in-law when his shower wasn't working. 
So I went in Mr. Fix-It to fix the shower. And, you know, I was just jiggling it around. I know enough about plumbing that I'm not completely stupid, but, but all of a sudden I turn that screw too far and all of a sudden that water comes out like a fire hose. I mean, it's just blowing across. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, this is a problem. And uh, so I called uh, uh, his, his plumber, who was a great guy, this old man, and, uh, and he said, now, Mr. Farnsworth, if I come out there, it's probably going to cost you $1,500. And I thought, well, could you give me some suggestions? And uh, so, to make a long story short, I went to Home Depot, I talked, bought two valves and learned out what a seat valve was, and... and uh, <clears throat> So, but, but I get all the way back and I have these tools, but uh, it didn't work. And so I called Mr. Haney back up and said, Mr. Haney, this thing's still leaking. He said, did you take that seat valve out? And I said, no. And he said, well, you got to take that out. So you got to take everything out, cut the water back off. I did learn that. And, uh, and so I go back to Lowe's and I had to buy this one tool, this one tool that would go all the way down in there and turn that little piece. It cost me about eight bucks, but I'll never use that tool again. But you know what? Very valuable. That little tool that costs eight bucks, say, <clears throat> Dr. Chandler, $1,500. So, so you see, when we talk about equality, you, you're living in a culture that has no understanding of history. It's called egalitarianism. That we're equal and the same, but we're not. We're equal and we're different. God has made us Adam and Adamah. But Adam is naming his wife Eve. Now where do you see faith here? Let me tell you where you see faith. They're not dead yet. The, the curse has been pronounced. God made a promise, ladies and gentlemen, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be a seed that would come from the woman. And though Satan will bruise his heel, he will crush his head, the very deceiver. Now I'll tell you this, throughout the scripture, the whole Bible is about Satan trying to get rid of that seed. But you see, Adam believed God. I mean, she wasn't pregnant yet. She had not conceived yet. And yet he is believing that though he sinned, and he has screwed it up for the world that God would be faithful to his promise. Now let me just stop real quick right there. <clears throat> and um, let me just say to some of you, I, some of you might be here for the first time, you might go, man, I screwed my life up so bad. Uh, and, and by the way, if you don't think you have, you probably have worse than you think you have. I really ruined my life. I've wounded other people. I've ruined my marriage. I've ruined my children. But look at Adam. You understand the guilt that man must have felt. Not only for that moment, understanding the consequences on his wife Eve, whom he blamed God for, but think about him out of the garden and he lived for like 800 years. 
Do you think he saw a little bit of pain and suffering because of his sin? I mean, his son Cain kills Abel. We're going to look at that next week. But you see, the reason I believe Adam was the first Christian is because he believed God's promise. So let me ask you this. Do you have a faith that looks to Christ? Now this is a faith, this is a gift of God. I don't know about you, there are a lot of things I, I need to trust him about. But let me say this. Going to the second thing. Uh, faith is not enough. Uh, you might say, well, hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. And may maybe one of the ways that you, you show your sign of belief is that you come to church and, you know, from occasionally, or maybe you're in a Bible study. But we need more than faith. Because, you see, if all you do is believe in God but not the object of the reality, then all you're doing is putting your faith in your faith. And theologians call that a fideism. You're trusting in your trust. So if Adam believed all these things, but God is not a provider, then it doesn't matter what he believes about God's promise if God doesn't do something. You understand that? You say, where do you see this? Look at, look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife's garments of skin, and he clothed them. Now let me tell you something. Very interesting. This business of shame and guilt. You know there's a difference? Uh, Fletcher, a counselor. Uh, Rebecca, you're a counselor. Steve Talitsky, we have counselors here. We do a lot with shame, don't we? Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was shame. And, uh, and so what they did in their shame is they made fig leaves to cover themselves up. Now some of you might be going, well, I don't, know. I don't really believe in the story of Adam and Eve, and I'm not sure about this. Let me, let me tell you the power of this text right here. There's nothing, no greater psychological damage or, or issue than us with our shame and trying to cover up our shame. We hide from each other. And let me tell you how we try to hide from each other. Through putting clothes on. Fig leaves. And what are those fig leaves? Ah, I'm going to be a successful pastor. That's a fig leaf. Or I'm going to be a successful businessman. Or I'll, I'll read all those books by James Dobson and I'll be the best mother and everybody will not know what a lie it is. And so we make money. Why do we make money? It's a fig leaf. We try to cover our shame. Because down deep we know that we don't want to be exposed. And so there's this great psychological need to cover ourselves. How about clothes themselves? I can I pretty much tell you exactly what kind of kind of who you hang out with with what you wear. I can't. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. I got my tie on today. Uh, I could have a, a garb on. Matter of fact, I, I'd like to wear a robe. Y'all let me wear a robe sometimes. No. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then there's uh, um, uh, there's people in fraternities, sororities, and they dress a particular way. 
And then, uh, then what I've noticed downtown Athens are those who are artists. And you know what? I can always pick out an artist. You know, because they all dress alike. I'm not picking on you artists. I, I'm just saying. Everybody's got their garb. They've got their uniform. Now, why do we do that? I'll tell you why we do that. Because we want to be accepted. We want to be, we want people to like us. And so we hide behind our intellect. Uh, in fact, I mean, I, I would, if, if there are any who are here today that have a lot of doubts about the gospel, I would love to meet with you because you might be hiding behind uh, your knowledge or your intellect. Shame. Before the fall, they were, they were naked and they were not ashamed. And man, sin comes in, and man, we are hiding from each other. We're afraid to be exposed on. So we never quite get to be as close to our husbands or our wives as we'd like to. Or our friends. Or our parents. Why? Because we're hiding. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. Shame, at the root of shame, is guilt. And when I say guilt, I'm not talking about feeling guilty. I'm telling you that the root of shame is breaking of the law of God. And fig leaves won't cover that. Because you see, it's one thing to be ashamed before one another. It is quite another thing to stand before the God of the Scriptures trying to basically clothe yourself with some righteousness of your own. Imagine that day. And so how do we do that? Uh, what are our fig leaves? Uh, good works. See, if you're a moralist person, like you're a decent person, I'm a moralist, and, and uh, you know, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. I'm a decent person. I work hard, I try hard. Can I tell you what that's like? That's like playing Monopoly. Somebody gave the illustration of playing Monopoly, and, uh, and I used to play Monopoly all the time as a kid. My brother Bob was always cheating. He would take... Uh, his toes and, you know, and steal money out of the bank. But, uh, so he always won at Monopoly. He was a smart guy, too. And, but he thought he was something else because he had Monopoly money. But imagine if he said, hey, man, I've got $525,000. I'm going to go down to the Athens First Bank, and I'm going to deposit that money into that account. Now, could you imagine what the teller would say? Well, well sir, I'm sorry, but uh, we don't accept. That's play money. But it's five hundred twenty-five thousand. I have park place in Brighton. That is your righteousness before God Almighty. You're earning. What are you earning? If you think that's what will make you right with God, you're putting your faith in play money. And some of you are, are you know, you're not. You're moralist, but you're not religious. But then there's the more dangerous one. That, that's the people who do their religious duty. I mean, what do the Jews think? We're God's people. Why? Because they're circumcised. Why are you God's people? You've been baptized. You joined the Methodist church. You joined the Baptist church. And I go to church, and I go to these ceremonies, and I come to a baptism, and I go to church over, whatever it may be. Those are fig leaves. Because you see, what Paul says in, in Romans 2 is that God is not concerned with circumcision in your flesh. Or let me put it another way. 
whether you've been baptized. But he's concerned if you've been circumcised of heart. Now, who, go, who's the, who are the ones that are going to get circumcised of heart? I'll tell you who you are this morning. The ones who realize you need to be circumcised. I mean, what a graphic picture of our sin. And so we put on these fig leaves. But let me tell you, Adam, Adam realized that someone had to pay. You see, it's more than believing. Believing Jesus and all that is not, somebody has to pay for sin, your sin. When I, when I was uh, in high school, my senior year, uh, my father, who's a wonderful guy, um, he, he had just had the house remodeled. And it's an old house. It's like 100 years old, 12-foot ceilings. And some master guy came in and did all the, the what do you call it, plaster? One, one sheetrock. It was plaster, man. And uh, so I was uh, going to fly out to Colorado for some reason. I can't remember. And so I cut my bathwater room right above that room. And so I forgot that I needed to get, you know, deodorant or something. So I just left the house. And, uh, and went down to the, you know, the quick mark, came back about 30 minutes later. And so nobody's at the house, right? So I opened the front door, and there's a waterfall. And it's, it's, it's waterfalling in that room that my dad just spent all this money on. And uh, I, now, of course, uh, I freaked out, and, um, and my dad was not too uh, happy about it. Uh, and I asked for forgiveness, and he forgave me. He did forgive me. But you know what? It cost him a lot of money. And so what you need to understand is that forgiveness always requires some payment. And if you, uh, if you hurt your spouse or, or whatever it may be, and you say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. Is that enough? I mean, maybe, maybe what you need to do is say, hey, honey, I'm really sorry, and you go spend $30, $40 on flowers. Right? And you say, hey, listen, this, is here, this, should, this should cover the debt that I hurt your feelings, maybe. And sometimes it does. Thankfully, my wife doesn't like flowers a whole lot. But, um, but what do you do? What do you do if you have an affair? And you say, oh, Kroger, $30 a flower. And, and so you go, go to your wife after you've, you've had an affair, an offense. He say, hey, honey, I'm really sorry, but here are the flowers. That would be an absolute ridiculous response. Matter of fact, I would suggest that if your wife or your spouse, if, if that's ever happened in your life, you're at their mercy. And either they don't forgive you and you pay for your offense, or they, they forgive you. And because they want to stay in a relationship with you, they pay the offense. Trust me, forgiveness is not forgetting. How can you forget that? Forgiveness is remembering. God doesn't forget your sin. He remembers them in Jesus Christ. And so, who pays? I mean, who's covering who? 
off of the fig leaves. And there's an animal, probably a lamb. And they had never seen death. You understand that? At this point, even the snake's not dead. And here comes this innocent lamb. And it's slain. And blood is shed. So they might be covered. Now this is pointing to the gospel. Adam needed provision. We need a provision. But you see, the difference between him and us is we know what that provision is. That brings me to, to the last thing I want to say. See, real quick. So we see Adam's faith. We see God's provision. But I want us to see God's character here. Uh, again, some of the reasons we're so loose, like if you're a Christian and you're kind of playing around with sin and... Uh, or you know you are. I mean, we all sin. I sin every day. I get that. But you know, it's just like, well, okay, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but you're in this habit. It means you've forgotten something about the character of God. But where do we see that? Well, we see that in the following passages where they're still kicked out of the garden. There's consequences. And why are they kicked out of the garden? Well, here's where the grace of God comes in. He says, lest they reach up and partake of the tree of life and forever be in a state of sin and misery. I mean, seriously, I'm 60 years old. Would you really want to live forever like it is? Like never, ever being able to figure your wife out? Never, ever being able to figure your husband out or... or your, or, or, like, lying? Well, honey, I'm sorry, I was a little bit late. I ran into a car on the way, or, or there was a wreck. and Yeah, there was. A little bumper, bump up. It, it cost you about 30 seconds. Ever done that? But think about doing that forever. Would you like to live forever in your state? Well, the mercy of God is he kicks him out of the garden before he reaches. And one of the greatest blessings of God, ladies and gentlemen, is the affliction of God. In our toils and our pains and our sorrows. Someone asked uh, me what I think is the true evidence of a Christian. And I think two things. A, hatred of sin. You just get sick. You just don't want to sin. Man, what is wrong with me, right? The work of the Spirit in your life. Conflict between the flesh and spirit. If you have no conflict, you're probably not a Christian. But the other is you long for heaven more than you long for a national championship. Seriously. You long for heaven more than the vacation. You long for heaven more than, what, 10 years of all your retirement money you've been saving up forever? That's what you long for. And so, but we see the character of God because, you know what, even though he gives mercy, there's implications. Now, ultimately, let me tell you where we see the mercy of God. And I close. This is kind of hard to see. Uh, but after he kicks them out, you have these things called cherubim. You heard angels? These are cherubim. And they're, they're a classification of equal but different. And so here are the cherubim. And God takes Adam, and do you notice where he takes him? He takes him on the east side. This is very important, brothers and sisters, because you need to know the Bible 
is connected. And so they go to the A-side. And they're kicked out of the A-side. And here are these cherubim. And they have these swords at the garden. No, no more interest. Why? You know what the cherubim, you go out through the scripture, they're the angels who are the closest to the presence of God. Singing glory to him. You just go right, right, right through the, the scriptures. But you know where else you see the cherubim? You see them in the tabernacle in the holiest of the holiest. Spread out over the mercy seat. And what does the priest do? He comes in to sprinkle blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so they would come in for their people. The priest would come in for the Israelites. Now, guess what side the tabernacle and the temple faced? The east side. And so then there comes one named Jesus who John tells us the word became flesh and tabernacle. Later in that chapter, John sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus later says, Destroy this temple and in three days it will be raised. And then he goes to the cross because somebody has to pay. The great high priest... And when he sheds his blood, substituting, hopefully for you this morning, if you put your faith and trust in him, then you know what happens? Uh, just the cherubim have the swords. He falls upon the swords, and all of a sudden the gate opens up, the veil of the temple is rent. And now we have absolute access to our high priest. Let me read inclusion, in, in concluding. But the writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Is that not amazing? You see, you have a dilemma if you don't know Christ. And the dilemma is, how will you get rid of your sin? But on the other hand, if you're a believer, understand this, that God had a dilemma if he's to save us. None of he would be just. And so what does he do? He enters in on our behalf as our high priest. And so I conclude by saying this. You are, this morning, you are either in Adam or in Christ. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the gospel. Because just like Adam's sin is imputed to us, he said, well, that's not fair. Well, let me ask you this. Is it fair that your sins are imputed to Christ? 
the second A. Uh, may God give you the grace to look to Christ. To know the joy of the veil is rent. You got that? And you can boldly, anytime, enter into the presence of God. Why? Because your sins are gone. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel we see here in the book of Genesis. Father, we pray that you would work your gospel in our life, that you would open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, the love of God the Father. That yes, we're sinners, but you love sinners. And so, Lord, would you bring somebody to faith this morning? Or one who's been a Christian for a long time, but their hearts have hardened. Lord, you died for them. And, uh, and increase their faith to look to Christ once again and rest in him. We ask these things in your name. Amen.